Psalm 143. I'll read the whole psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old, I meditate on all that you have done, I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. Let's, let's pray. God, we desperately need you to lead us in this life, in this world, for a myriad of reasons, uh, God, all of which you are well aware of, but for some reason it is not always our nature or our desire to be led by you, and so I ask that you would uh, convict us today in areas where we perhaps are trusting in ourselves. God, and, and in, in exchange, would you give us great hope and trust in the Holy Spirit who leads us. We ask this in the name of Christ, amen. Well, happy Pentecost Sunday. That's why we were going to do the Article 6, which is about the Holy Spirit, which I made that change last minute, so I apologize for that. But uh, we celebrate the coming of Christ, his incarnation, his birth at Christmas. We celebrate his death and resurrection during Passion Week, which culminates in Easter. Then seven Sundays after Easter, the church has historically celebrated Pentecost Sunday, which is the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't do a lot with the historic church calendar at our church, but I do think that that third major marker is worth at least a special sermon, at least a pause to consider the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we ought to celebrate and enjoy and meditate on and learn and study the Holy Spirit always, and we will. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians, which I'm preaching through, uh, I, I picked it in part because the Holy Spirit is a major point of emphasis throughout 1 Corinthians. And, and I want to grow in my understanding of and, and my trust in and my love for God the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to pass that to you as well and instill that in you. So we'll get to a lot of Holy Spirit in the book of 1 Corinthians, but we're looking at Psalms this month. And so I thought it would be appropriate to pre preach a Pentecost sermon out of the Psalms. And a quick search led me to Psalm 143, specifically line, verse number 10, the second line, that is a, a verse number 10, or, or, which says, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
Now, you've probably heard the Christians use the language of being spirit-led. Being spirit-led. But what exactly does that mean? Maybe you think of a person who seems to get a constant stream of messages from the Holy Spirit. They say things like, well, this morning the Spirit told me to put on a blue shirt and then to read the book of Joel. And then I went to the grocery store and I told someone the gospel and the Spirit just led me right to this person right in the dairy section. And, and you hear them talk like this, and, and, and I'm not, not trying to belittle, belittle those persons, but when I hear people talk like that, I think, that's not me. Right? I, 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 don't, I don't get this constant stream of messages from the Holy Spirit on what to do in my ordinary life. So that, does that mean then that I'm not spirit-led? And if you're like me, that you're not spirit-led. Well, my hope today is to actually encourage you that being spirit-led is so much more than this. It's something that's for every Christian. So most simply put, and this is what we're going to learn in Psalm 143, is that being spirit-led is how God leads his people to his peace through prayer. God leads his people to his peace through prayer. That, that's being led by the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna do, we're gonna focus on verse 10, and then after I've, if we really meditate on verse 10, we'll, we'll zoom out and get the whole psalm and see how it all fits together. So again, verse 10, which is really two lines of poetry. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. That's the first bit. And then, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, don't underestimate the importance of the distinction of God the Holy Spirit. When God speaks in his word of his spirit, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit, or saying about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a distinct person. That's the language we use. We're not merely speaking of God's energy or of God's breath. We're speaking of God, the Holy Spirit, who is distinct from God the Father and God the Son. God, the one true God, is, we say, a trinity. Now, kids, this is something that you can remember, right? If you, maybe you, if you've done the New City Catechism, which I know some of you have, there's a great question. Question number three says, how many persons are there in God? And the answer is, and kids, this is what you can remember, there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kids, you can remember that, three persons in one God. We're talking today about God, the Holy Spirit. Now, those distinctions between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are most clear when, when Jesus Christ comes. And so we see these in the Gospels most clearly. The Son, Jesus, is baptized. The Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit descends. That's all Matthew chapter 3, 4. Before his death, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said he was leaving to go to the Father and send the Spirit. See the distinctions? Jesus is leaving earth to go to the Father to send the Spirit. In our salvation, we are born again by the Holy Spirit, who unites us to Jesus Christ the Son and pours the love of God into our hearts, pours the love of the Father into our hearts. As Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, empowering us to live lives of holiness like Christ the Son to the glory of God the Father. The Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of godliness because... Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son, we have died to sin, 
according to the plan of God the Father. See all these distinctions? I just packed a whole bunch of big concepts into a paragraph. So don't, don't let that dishearten you. If you want to talk more about that, uh, we, I'd be happy to have a cup of coffee with you. But, but the point I want you to get today, and this is where you can just land, is that when we look to God's spirit to lead us, we're looking to God. We're looking to God to lead us. Not a force, not an idea, but God personally, powerfully, actively leading us by the person, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, we say that, we, we understand that in, in light of Jesus Christ. Now, David lived 1,000 years, roughly, before Jesus. So could David, who wrote Psalm 143, see the little inscription, a Psalm of David, could David have meant the same thing? Like that we're being led by a distinct member of the Godhead. Well, yes, because God has not changed and God inspired his word. But not only that, David knew God the Holy Spirit personally and, and in a distinct way. I'm going to give you a couple passages. I apologize, I didn't get verses in your notes this week. I was a little behind on my, my study. Uh, but, but I'll just give you these passages slowly. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. This is the very beginning of David's life. This is when he is anointed as king by Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 16. Oh, sorry, chapter 16, verse 13. My bad. I went to 13, 16. That was not the right, right verse. Chapter 16, verse 13, it says, that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, you might look at that and think, well, well, what does that mean? Does that just mean that David just felt some sort of rush of energy from God? Now let's go to the end of David's life and he'll explain what happened and what continued to happen. This is in 2 Samuel 23, verses 2 through 4. This is David praying, singing. 2 Samuel 23, verses 2 through 4, which says... The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His, words, his word is on my tongue. Now listen to this. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So you see what happens from the beginning of David's life to the end, God the Holy Spirit was present with him, speaking to him, guiding him, leading him. And so if we just look at, at, at the life of David, who wrote Psalm 143, we would say that being led by the Spirit is the presence and power of God actively leading you. And Christians, you, you have that. You, you have the Holy Spirit in you, actively leading you. Jesus promised, I just referenced it a bit ago, right, that he would go to the Father and send the Spirit to his people. So we have the Holy Spirit. We are, because we are Christians, going to eternity to be with the Father, we are Spirit-led. Not, not that you might be Spirit-led, but that you are so then, 
how does that actually work? Like, what, 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 what does that look like in our lives? Back to Psalm 143, verse 10. I want you to pay attention, those of you who like grammar, to the adjective. Psalm 143, verse 10, the adjective is good. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, why would David call the Holy Spirit good? He could have called the Spirit faithful. He could have called the Spirit loving or, or righteous. But why, why good? There must be a reason for this. Here's my suspicion. It's because where God is leading us to and what God is leading us through does not always look good. And so what we need to remember, we need to cling to the goodness of God as he leads us where we're going. So, so think about this. You've probably had conversations or you will have conversations or phone calls, right, where everything changes. Maybe these are conversation with your doctor or a phone call from your parents or your kids or your spouse or your friend, right? And you hear the seriousness in somebody's voice and you just know your whole world is about to get upended, right? And then all the facts get on the table and, and you just kind of fall before the Lord and say, help me. Now, why would you ask God to help you? Isn't it because God is good? Isn't it that in the midst of trial and, and tribulation, we have to cling to the goodness of God? Isn't it the goodness of God that leads us through cancer and conflict, through confrontation and forgiveness and reconciliation? Isn't it the goodness of God that leads us through bad news and through changes? See, I don't think David is praying in Psalm 143 verse 10, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I don't, I don't think he's praying that prayer because he thinks that somehow the Holy Spirit might not lead him. That somehow in this moment of difficulty, God might fail to be God. David's not praying this out of worry. Rather, what he's trying to do is see and trust what is already true. Right? He's trying to see that God is leading him, that God will lead him. He's not, not worried. He's rather learning to trust, learning to see. And, and in, in doing that, he's seeking real peace. In a way, David is encouraging us to cling to the goodness of God. Like, God is good. The Holy Spirit is good. He is true and beautiful and generous and pleasing. And you can be absolutely certain that where he is leading you is good because the Holy Spirit leads you one place, to God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son. And you can be certain that what the Holy Spirit is leading you through will be used for good because it is God who is good who is with you in it. That point is really made in the second line of Psalm 143 verse 10. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, just a little bit of, uh, of truth about Hebrew poetry. Remember, the Psalms were written in Hebrew. And Hebrew poetry is built on what's called parallelism, which is a big word of saying how two ideas work together. So you can think of it like this. Uh, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme with sounds. English poetry does. We, we rhyme our sounds. Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas. So in Hebrew poetry, we have two lines that are intended to work together. And, and the key to understanding Hebrew poetry is to ask, how do those two lines work together? And, and brothers and sisters, 
this is not usually very complicated. See, walk through this. Line number one is, let your good spirit lead me. Line number two, on level ground. So we ask, well, what's the relationship between those two? Again, this is not terribly complicated. Level ground is where we want the Holy Spirit to lead us. That's the relationship, which implies that level ground is what we need. In other words, my way is steep. My way is rough. My way is impassable. My way is hard to see. I want God's leading to give me comfort and safety and security and hope. I want it to be level, not difficult. There's kind of two pictures that this paints in my mind. Maybe you've experienced one of these. Uh, Probably the first one, probably not the second one. The first one is all the various trails that I've hiked on in in the mountains of northern Idaho where I'm from. Uh, Now, as a teenager, I think... That, or I thought it would be easiest to go straight up the side of the mountain, right? I don't know how many of you have ever done this where you're going on a trail that goes like this and you think, what am I doing? I'm just going straight up. That's what I did a few times. It doesn't take long to figure out, though, that cutting through the brush and trees is not only more difficult, it is far slower. And so when I think of let your good spirit lead me on level ground, I think level ground is that path. Even though it, it winds up and down the mountain, even though it isn't super fast, it actually is smooth and easy and, and in the long run much faster. The other word picture that comes to my mind is from a book I read this year about a U.S. soldier who was blinded in combat. And, and he told a story in the book about getting lost in a parking lot, an empty parking lot during his recovery. And, and he just captured the vulnerability and frustration of being unable to see the relatively few steps that he needed to take to get to be where he needed to be. I relate that to being led by the Spirit. It's when God takes your hand and guides you to safety. Being led by the Spirit is when God places your feet on the path that is designed to get you to the end. This isn't to say that the way that God leads us is always easy. Remember Jesus says the the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But rather, it's a prayer asking God to lead us knowing that life is hard, knowing it's frustrating, knowing the dangers, knowing your vulnerabilities, and yet, it's a prayer that unites your heart to God's so that in trusting him, you can feel like you're walking on a smooth path. Prayer is clinging to the goodness of God, the Spirit, to lead you. That's what I think it really means to be Spirit-led. It's not hoping for some unexpected message, but clinging to what is already true and promised. That's why we, we cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's where the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is leading us to be with God forever through Christ. So then we take that same clinging to the hope of the gospel and we apply it to our lives, right? In the midst of temptation or suffering or trials or persecution or or, or ordinary times or good times, we cling to what is true, that the Holy Spirit has led us to God. He is leading us to God. He will lead us to God. And, And so we pray in the Spirit to help us see and trust what is true. And and the fruit of that is peace. And peace is what we really need. And think about this. At the deepest level, without the Holy Spirit, you are not at peace with God. That's your big problem. That's my big problem. We are going away from God in our human flesh. 
Without the Holy Spirit, we could say, we are unrighteous. We follow unrighteous paths. That's why I say, without the Holy Spirit, you are not at peace with God. This is why David prays in verse 2 of Psalm 143. Verse 2, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. That, that's a confession. It's saying, I'm not righteous in my nature. We are not righteous. No one is righteous, right? We know, but God, our Father in heaven, is righteous. He made us to be righteous, but we're rebels. And so he should judge us. So, so our, our confession before God is this humble admission that we need righteousness from God. It's also a prayer then that God would lead us into righteousness, right? When we confess our sins, like we would in Psalm 143, verse 2, it's a confession that God would take us to the righteous places. So you might think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, right? Dot, dot, dot. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So, so the first and greatest leading of the Holy Spirit is that he has led you out of unrighteousness and into salvation, he has led us to Jesus Christ, and I preached a couple weeks ago, who is our righteousness from God. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives this long list of all the sins that would keep us out of God's kingdom, keep us under God's judgment, and here's what he says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, which means you were made righteous. Now listen to what he says. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we are made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit has led us out of unrighteousness and into righteousness. This is why, if, if you're not a Christian, this is why we tell you to turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in doing that, God the Holy Spirit leads you out of condemnation and into salvation out of judgment and into peace with God. And, and we Christians, we, we find out that this is what the Holy Spirit just constantly does for us, right? He leads us away from sin and into righteousness. He produces the fruit of peace. The Holy Spirit produces peace first with God, right? In giving us salvation, but then in, in all of life in a sin-cursed world. This is why David in Psalm 143 verse 3 is seeking peace when he's exhausted by his enemies. Verse three, Psalm 143, verse three, the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart is appalled. Now, do you know that, do you know that feeling? Like that feeling of your soul being on the run. The feeling of being crushed or weary or aghast or confused. Why is it that as Christians we experience those sorts of emotions and feelings in this life? It's because you have enemies. It's because you have enemies. Now, Mr. Robinson touched on this last week. Um, you might not think you have enemies, but you most certainly do. We, we usually don't think we have enemies because most of us don't have some sort of like arch nemesis supervillain in our lives. Some of you might, I, and, and I'll pray for you. That's a terrible situation to be in, but most of us don't feel like a constant pressure and threat of enemies, but you realize you have lots of enemies in this world. 
starting with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So whether it's a, a wicked culture or a persistent temptation or a demonic force, you have enemies. You are a stranger and an exile in this world. Now, God is good. Heaven is real. The gospel is powerful to change. Right? But, 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 but still means lots of difficulty. Right? We haven't arrived yet. Now, you could look at your enemies and you could wring your hands or you could pretend that you're a victim. That's not the point of, of meditating on your enemies, though. The point is to drive you to pray for peace. Right? When, you, when you see your enemies, when you feel crushed by your enemies, when you feel exhausted by your enemies, it's to drive you to pray for peace. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. As a matter of fact, if you read through the Psalms, you'll find this to be a common theme. Asking God to lead us to peace. That God would guide his people out of safety, or sorry, out of, sorry, God would guide his people into safety, away from enemies. That's what we want to do. Away, into safety, away from enemies. This, this draws on the language of the Exodus. If you remember the Exodus story when God led his people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land with many, much difficulty and temptations and in the presence of enemies and with certainty. This is the biblical language that's used because it's, it's in the Exodus. It's in the wilderness. It's in our battle against sin. It's in persecution. It's in the dark. It's with spiritual forces of evil swirling around us that, that we are exhausted by our enemies and yet we plead with the Spirit I need you to give me peace. I need you to lead me on level ground. And he does. Like often in ways that surpass our understanding. Sometimes rapidly, sometimes slowly. Sometimes with suffering, sometimes with, with release, relief. But what happens when, when we, in the midst of our tribulation, when we turn and trust God, is that the Spirit leads us to see and trust what is already true. God has already defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus Christ reigns right now until all of his enemies will be put under his feet. He has conquered, and he will conquer. And so it's in our, in our exhaustion from our enemies that we seek peace from the Spirit, and we find we already have victory in Christ. So we seek peace when we are exhausted by our enemies. We also seek peace when we are thirsty for God. Now, this, this is perhaps most difficult for us. To seek peace when you don't feel like God is going to give it. Look at Psalm 143, verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Now, now that's faith that God still does mighty works. I'm going to look back and see all you've done. I'm going, to, I'm going to trust that you can still do it. Now, the problem with that, though, is then you look at your own life and you say, well, hang on then, God. Like, where are you now? Can't you see my enemies? Don't you hear my confessions? Don't you understand my trials? Right, so we need the Spirit to lead us when we're thirsty for God. And that's why verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. You probably know this, right? Even when you rest in the righteousness that you have in Jesus Christ, even when you're trusting God to lead you through this world, it is no guarantee that life will be easy. And, and, and oftentimes, even when you're trusting God, you're going to find that it feels like God is silent and inactive. And, and you'll get that feeling of being spiritually parched. 
don't know if you've had this, or maybe uh, at the same time you've felt just dry and dead and sluggish and stuck. I have seasons like that. I don't know if you do. It's not like I'm in outright rebellion to God. It's, it's more that I'm just stalled out, that my heart is not in it. My affections are not stirred. And so I try to run the normal paths, right? Remembering the good work of God, reading the word, gathering with the church, praying. But like it doesn't do anything for me. Like my, my soul thirsts for the Lord like, like a parched land search for, seeks for rain. And, and what concerns me about that, if you've experienced this, is that we tend to not want to address that problem in God's way. We give up. We start complaining. We start exploring things that are mystical or unbiblical. We make excuses. But, but when, when we feel like God is silent and inactive, when we are thirsty for the Lord, and I mean that in, in a negative way, what is God's way to satisfy us? It's praying that the Holy Spirit would lead us on level ground. Like, that's what the whole psalm's about, right? Verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. So when you're parched, when you're thirsty, you're praying for the Lord to satisfy. And, and notice what David does after confessing his need in verse 2. After being exhausted by his enemies in verses 3 and 4. After thirsting for God in verses 5 and 6, he prays. Verse 7, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. See, being spirit-led in its most simple, most beautiful, most powerful form is prayer. Because prayer is when we come before God the Father, where Jesus the Son pleads our cause, where the Holy Spirit in us helps us to seek what we most, most need. Being led by the Holy Spirit starts on your knees or on your face or in your room where nobody sees but your Father who's in heaven. That's enough, right? Jesus says your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer is where we take our greatest and truest needs before God who can perfectly meet them. Even if that means we have enemies, even if we're spiritually dry, even when we're guilty of sin, we pray. That's being spirit-led. And prayer in the Spirit then leads us from need to worship. Notice that transition in verse 11, Psalm 143. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of the soul, of my soul, for I am your servant. Did you notice that the change of request from verse 1, hear my prayer? To now the confidence of verse 12, you will cut off my enemies. And then a joyful commitment, I am your servant. Maybe you've had one of these moments where in desperation, in the busyness, you just said, wait a second, let's, we haven't prayed yet. Let's, let's pause for a second and pray. 
And when you do, it's like peace and confidence and hope just wash over you. Right? And in the midst of that, that difficulty, you can rise and say, listen, God's going to get us through this. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's being spirit-led. From need to worship through prayer. Now, I use those words very carefully. The Holy Spirit does not necessarily lead us from need to solution through prayer, but from need to worship. The Spirit leads us from sin to salvation, from trouble to trust, from problems to peace. This is why I said that being Spirit-led is God leading his people to his peace through prayer. And you're already being Spirit-led because the Spirit is taking you from your sin to Christ. From earth to heaven, you already are spirit-led. Now, often then, we want to say, well, how can I be spirit-led? Well, you, you are. So, so like David, how can you see and trust what is already true? And the answer is prayer. The primary action we take to be actively spirit-led is prayer. The way you lay hold of what God the Holy Spirit is doing in you is through prayer. That should stir in you a desire to pray. If, if God is going to work in prayer, shouldn't you want to pray? I hope you do. Now, I don't know, but I, 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 you might wonder, because you might be like me and think, okay, I'm really bad at prayer, though. I don't pray enough. Everybody says that. Nobody's ever said, you know what? I think I've got that one covered. Like, everybody says, I don't pray enough. I'm not, not good at it. I don't know what to do. Where could I start? Or maybe to use the language of the New Testament, how can I pray in the Spirit and I think the best answer, first answer, is to pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms, because the Holy Spirit has inspired them. That is the primary tool that God has used in my life to teach me to pray is the Psalms. The main tool that God has used in my life to make prayer a joyful communion with God, to help me to pray when I can't, to fill my prayers with richness, to focus my heart and mind on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the main tool that God has used to lead me by the Holy Spirit is praying the Psalms. Now, if, if that, you say, I have no idea what you mean by praying the Psalms, that's okay. You can start today. It's a good time to go ahead and begin this and learn this. If you pay attention on Sunday mornings, we almost always pray part of or a whole psalm in one of our congregational prayers in the morning. But if you want to learn to pray in the Psalms on your own, I simply ask you to start with Psalm 143. And I'll give you two ways. One, pray the words of Psalm 143. Pray God's word back to him. Like, pray slowly and thoughtfully and heartily. So let's just take an example, verse 8. Like, this could be a prayer from you to God. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. For in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. That, that's like 30 words. It gets richer than most of the prayers I pray. How, how, how would that change your prayer life if you started infusing the Psalms into your prayers? Okay, so you want to just pray God's words back to him. Now take this a bit further. Use the words of the Psalms to shape your prayers. 
That is, you read the psalm, and then based on what the psalm has said, let that draw out of your heart godly expressions to live to God. Let's just take Psalm 8. We can do the same thing. God, I need to hear every day when I wake up and my phone is already beckoning me to look at a thousand distractions. God, help me to hear of your steadfast love. Fill my mind with the gospel today. May I remember that you love me and have loved me in Christ. God, I trust in you. I trust in you because you are good and faithful because you care for your people, because you keep your promises. God, I trust you because I'm not always sure where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. I question my motives. So God, I need you to please make me know the way I should go. Show me what is right. Fill me, Lord, with wisdom and grace. God, even for the people that you've entrusted to me, my my church, my family, help me to lead them in your ways. Make me know the way that we should go. God, I praise you. I'm lifting my soul to you. I'm longing for you to help me and lead me and guide me. Amen. I mean, just, just like, there's, there's little ways in which we use the Psalms to inform our prayers. Being spirit-led is God leading his people to his peace through prayer. And I'm not saying that to belittle this person that says, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to put on a blue shirt and read the book of Joel and, and that sort of example I gave earlier. I'm not trying to belittle, belittle that person that feels all these little nudgings from the Holy Spirit and seems to have this constant communication. But what I'm trying to tell you is that you have something more than that in the Holy Spirit. The most certain way of being led by the Spirit is something that you already possess in Christ. The Spirit dwells in us. He's made us new in Christ. He produces the fruit of righteousness. He seals us for eternity. He keeps us at peace with God. So being Spirit-led is really a prayer to see and trust what you already have. You can be spirit-led because you are spirit-led. Not not because you figured out some way to reach some higher plane, but because God is faithful to do what he promises. Notice how Psalm 143 leads to confidence in God's promises. Verse 12, in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. That's the sort of real peace that we're seeking. It's knowing that God keeps his promises, that God saves his people, that God destroys his enemy, that God satisfies our soul. So we serve him. Like, this is what being spirit-led will do to you. It will render you entirely submitted to God, and that's the best place to be. There's a description of this in Isaiah chapter 42 that I think is is wonderful, and I'll leave you with this. Psalm, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 42 verse 13 says this. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. And then Isaiah shifts his language as if the Lord is now talking to his people. 
in verse 16. So, so that's the Lord, this mighty man, this man of war who's conquering his enemies. And what does he say to his people? Verse 16, God says, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Let's pray. God, may you give us a confidence in your faithfulness and your might to destroy your enemies and to lead your people in paths that are level and smooth and light. I pray that we would be a people who are truly spirit-led. God, may it be our prayer that the spirit would lead us on level ground. In Jesus' name, amen.